0: Welcome to Farscape Friday, Episode 4. We'll be discussing the Farscape episode, "Throne for a Loss. I'm Kay, here with my podcast co-host, Taz. Hello! Let's get started. Welcome back. Today we're going to be discussing the episode, "Throne for a Loss. A quick synopsis. While trying to impress some traders, Rigel oversells his royal status and ends up kidnapped, waiting for a ransom. The crew hurries to rescue him and, more importantly, the navigation crystal that he stole for his scepter.
1: So this is one of the early season one episodes. And watching this again, this turned out to be a really fun episode because there's lots of great character interaction. And there's some really, you know, the traders are basically bandits who, who kidnap Rigel. The show opens on them. They think they're going to be having a trade deal where they're going to be hauling some cargo for these guys. They're called the Tavlex, as you learn very early on in the episode. But it turns out that they are instead interested in kidnapping Rigel to hold him for a ransom for the amount of, uh, was it Cuvinium or something like that? Yeah. That could fill the hangar bay. Which, of course, our intrepid escape prisoners do not have. So that's where we start out. And the secondary plot of this episode is there's this gauntlet. The weapons that they use is this gauntlet that injects stimulant into the arms of the, of the wearer. They use it as a weapon. It shoots out, you know, the yellow bolts of light and also can act as a shield. And the crew gets his hold of one of them and it makes first is the first one who gets it and it makes him really, really aggressive. So that's where this episode begins.
0: This episode was very much more straightforward than the past couple of episodes because this episode was literally Rigel gets kidnapped, they have to save Rigel, and that was pretty much the main plot. And so, I think a lot of the extra stuff that we got, the character stuff was kind of added on to that. For me, that was more of the meat of this episode.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Because we got to
0: see we get to see more development between some of my favorite friendships. For example, we get to see more development between Dargo and and Aaron. I think that when <laughs> you watched this show once before, you forget that there was a certain point when they just hated every single thing about each other.
1: It's interesting. In this episode, you really start them to get beyond beyond that. Like in Gen- Exodus from Genesis, we started to see them starting to see each other as people, and here their rivalry is is much less antagonistic is more like siblings bickering.
0: Yeah, there's a great line after both Aaron and Dargo have used the gauntlet, and so now they're both suffering from the after effects, which is extreme exhaustion. And so Aaron is down for the count. She's laying on the ground, and she's really tired. And Dargo is also laying on the ground, and they're sending John off to do the recon. And they have this hilarious moment that I'm going to play. Is your head hurt? Yes. Yours? Pounding like a maxillian pelated day parade. I'm, d- I'm so tired, I- It took a few hours for me to fully recover, so I imagine for a sebation we should probably double that.
1: Oh. Don't
0: be so childish. Perhaps it took quite a few hours for me to recover. And so we get that sort of interaction between them this episode, where they've kind of gone from where you can see the flux in their friendship. Because initially, Dargo is is literally pushing her buttons on purpose. He's literally oh, yeah. like, "Well, we should double the amount of time because <laughs> sedations are weak and Lexans are strong." Yeah, and then you see, and you see that that competition, and you also see, I think you see Dargo being a little bit more. Mm, I don't, I don't know that I would say kind, but he's. He's definitely being less of a jerk to her.
1: (laughs) Yeah. They actually have this kind of running conversation throughout this whole episode. It actually starts when, you know right after the firefight where, you know, the traitors have come, they've kidnapped Rigel and there's this whole firefight. And so afterwards with Dargo has the gauntlet on and everyone else is like, take off the gauntlet. Okay. You know, they're still on Moya. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm in charge now. So he's, he goes off to be in charge and demand things of pilot. So Aaron and John have to come up with a plan to get him to stop because he's kicking DRDs. And actually there's this really cute moment, the DRD he kicks, it actually crosses its eye stalks and like defense. <laughs> it's like a blocking move It was really, really cute But he calls Aaron a coward When they're chasing after him He's like, you are a coward And she's like, so angry And John has to hold her back And pull her back in So they can to carry out their plan To knock Jar- Dargo out Because the gauntlet will come off If you're unconscious And so they have this running conversation Of who is the coward And who is the barbarian Throughout the whole episode
0: Yeah, and that does come back To kind of the flux in their relationship And how their relationship is changing Talking about plans and John's plan to knock out Dargo, I have to point out that I think that one of the major things I noticed watching this episode this time around was how much John hates to not be in control.
1: Oh, no, no, no. He does not like that. And and it comes back to, okay, so his plan to
0: knock out Dargo is so ridiculous. He's like, we're going to get Dargo in this room and then there's going to be really a lot of pressure because you know, pilots close the exhaust vents and then the exhaust vents are gonna open and it's gonna shake and maybe Drago will fall down. That was literally his
1: plan. And what's one of the great things about this this is also a running conversation about the plans that's going through here.
0: And so after they've done this, after John did this shaking maneuver, Erin looks at him and she's like, this was an awful plan. I'm never following one of your plans again. And he's like, fine, next time you get to make the plan. But then when it does come to be her turn to make the plan, he's so angry about it because he's like, well, that's a stupid plan. And I ended up as a viewer being like, John, you're <laughs> being more ridiculous than she is. Hers is a legitimate plan.
1: And you just told her that she was the one who came up with the next plan. I actually pulled both those quotes. Let's play them. So here is the first one right after John's plan. Aaron is bitching about the plan. That was your plan. Yeah. We're pretty good. Oh, barely. That is the last time I go along with one of your plans. Fine. Next time you get to make the plan. And then this is literally like 5 minutes later, Darga's knocked out, Aaron and John have just learned that Rigel has indeed stolen a crystal that's needed for propulsion, and Aaron's like, "Okay, we have to go down to the planet now." So this is how she explains her plan to John. If we don't go back crystal back, we're gonna crash into the planet. I've got a plan. Oh, no, please, let me guess. Your plan. Jam down to the planet, conduct
0: a commando style raid against, what, a couple of dozen heavily armed tabloids, and then haul ass back up to the ship. Tablex. That's your plan. Wily Coyote would come up with a better plan than that. What, are you just gonna go down there by yourself? No, of course not. You're coming with me. Oh, in your dreams, I'm coming with you. This
1: is my turn my plan.
0: And let's go. No. Absolutely not. There are other things that we can do. We can try negotiating with the tabloids. We can. Lex. Going back to that. I mean, he literally was referring to her plan, which again is is what she's trained to do. She's trained to be a soldier. She's trained to go down to places and take on enemy. And he's referring to her as Wily e. Coyote, <laughs> which I I think that watching it, I kind of I just spent the entire time laughing because John's plans, at least this early in the season, are not any better than that. It's just that right. his are different.
1: They're a different approach, exactly. And now since we just played that quote, can we bring up my other favorite running joke that's running through this whole episode? Mm-hmm. John always calls the Tavlex Tavloids and it drives <laughs> everyone else nuts. <laughs> and he's like, whatever. He keeps calling them the tabloids. And the one we just played where where Aaron is like, Tavlex. It's like when your mom mispronounces your best friend's name. It's like that feeling you get. Here's the other instance when they're down on the planet. And this is after Aaron has gone out of the gauntlet and she and Dargo are sniping at each other. But they both take time to correct John. Here you go. You called me a coward. You called me a barbarian. Well, you are. Well, perhaps coward
0: is too good a word for a peacekeeper. Both of you,
1: Knock it off. You didn't mean
0: what you said with the gauntlet talking. I meant everything I said.
1: Yeah, so did I. You also mean everything you did. You attacked us, tried to take over the
0: ship, and you—you're ready to slaughter every tabloid on the tabloid. planet. and whatever.
1: So yeah, John is precious. John is precious. Well,
0: also in this episode, I think the writers are still working out who John is because the John in this episode, to be honest, is a little bit disrespectful let me put it that way Oh, totally you, you know first of all the mispronouncing of the name which I get because tabloid kind of sounds like tabloid but yeah. at the same time I'm like everybody has been telling you their name is tabloid
1: yeah well and, it's also like it's like a humanoid you know yeah. that's a very very common sci-fi oid suffix
0: and also there's the later on when he runs in to Rigel's cellmate, who is Essentially in a, the equivalent of Rigel just for a species that nobody has ever heard of because, again, they're in the Uncharted territories, and so they haven't heard of a lot of people. But the, he runs into Rigel's cellmate, and this is how he refers to him. Ah. Sorry. offense is not taken. <sighs> hey, check out the critter. Critter? Critter. What's your problem? Find Rigel. <laughs> And so I don't think that's necessarily a John we see later, like a John that's literally, you know, referring to an actual being as like a critter.
1: Well, John has grown and learned from this experience, clearly. (laughs) You know, he's he's still in his stunned and awed of alien life forms that don't look like him.
0: Yeah, I guess that's, yeah, that's arguable. I think that's a good explanation. But still, it's just, it's funny to me because we were talking about how John imprinted on Star Trek And Mm -hmm. I don't think I could see even Kirk, who is, you know, the most swashbuckling of all Star (laughs) of all the Star Trek captains. (laughs) I couldn't see him ever referring to any living being as a critter.
1: No. But then we're also having a John from, you know, what's in universe, I guess, our universe, where Star Trek is fiction. I mean, he references it later on Mm -hmm. as a fiction in his universe, but also... It really is a surprising because uh, I don't remember his name, but he's from the Consortium of Trow, and he basically looks like a giant squid mm-hmm. or, you know, like a ghost costume except squid-like mm-hmm. or something like that. So he is one of the puppets. He's really bizarre looking. He's not like a person in a mask. Mm-hmm. And and so you can kind of understand if you suddenly come across it to John, that would immediately say animal as opposed to, to person. Mm-hmm.
0: And the, <laughs> speaking of best lines, though, the <sighs> Trow Prince – Flat out has like the best shade ever it is thrown. So good. I'm gonna I'm gonna play it because if I ever need to throw shade on anybody, this is what <laughs> I'm going to say to them forever. Who are you, Joseph? Next in succession to preside over the consortium of Trow. And you? Dominar Rigel the 16th, ruler of the Hynerian Empire. The Hynerian Empire is not familiar to me. Yeah? Well, I never heard of the Consortium of Trow the imperfection is yours. I'm totally gonna just start saying that and during you should, meetings. you
1: should, you should. That totally is the best ever. The imperfection for is like yours, that. yes, yeah. So, also, going
0: back to the gauntlet, I think that we need to start rating all of Dargo's plans against his plan to cut off his own pinky finger. <laughs> <laughs> so, in terms of him wearing this unknown weapon that injects him with a stimulant. I think that's definitely marginally less crazy than cutting off your own pinky
1: finger. <laughs> in his defense, he just watched three people use those things very effectively in a firefight, and so he was without a weapon otherwise. And so he put it on, and voila, it worked. And then he was under the effects of the drug, so you can't really blame him for his actions afterwards because they were it was all the, it was the drug talking.
0: Yeah, but I think that his actions afterwards also really do go back to the conversation we had last episode about or two episodes ago, about captains and who wants to be mm. in charge on Moya. Because yeah. literally the first thing he does when he when he puts on the gauntlet is assume command. And he assumes it in this like very assertive way.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's like, now I'm in charge. No more of this voting crap. That's pretty much how he says it, mm-hmm. without the crap. So until now, they've kind of run on a loose democracy of the most people that can agree on something get to do it even though everyone grumbles about it. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think that that's more efficient for them to work on because they are all these leaders. So that moment when he's like, I'm in charge, I'm going to take command. I was like, oh, Dargo, this is going (laughs) to last for like 10 seconds, buddy. Sorry.
1: Yeah. The other thing I kind of liked about when he puts the gauntlet on and they're figuring out what it does is looking at John's relationship to weapons throughout this whole episode. Because like he's like, oh, you're being injected with something. That sounds like a bad idea. Take it off immediately. Because it's like the foreign thing coming in. I'm sure it's something he's hyper aware of at this point. Mm-hmm. And he's very resistant to them using the, the gauntlet throughout. I mean, Aaron puts it on and he doesn't want her to put it on. Kind of out of desperation that he puts it on at the end to go on his own to prevent thekesh from running off with Rigel. But the reason he has to do that is because John blows up the pulse rifle oh John he's trying to cover Aaron when she's going to shake down some of the tablets for information on how to get to their camp because they didn't they couldn't find it on the sensors so they had to land in the forest outside. And he's supposed to provide covering fire. And he can't turn on the pulse rifle correctly and he ends up overloading the chamber and it <laughs> blows up in his faces. <laughs> and then and then Gargo, who finally gets the sensors working up on Moya, sees the explosion and he's like, Ugh. Looks like they're already in trouble. <laughs> and there's just a <laughs> sigh. And so he's like, Oh gosh, I've gotta go down and rescue them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess my last point about John and weapons is, so he does end up putting the gauntlet on at the end, and having a one-on-one face-off with Bakesh, who is the lead Tavlek at the end of the episode, trying to get Rigel back. And he shoots, like, three of the people that are with Bakesh, the other Tavleks, but he doesn't kill them. And again, it's, it's, he hasn't killed anybody yet. He's, he's not that guy, is what he says. Mm -hmm. When Bakesh asks, you know, says, why didn't you kill them? Mm Mm-hmm. And so he still hasn't crossed that line.
0: There's a moment right before that where he refers to it as kind of like the green lantern ring.
1: Oh, yeah. I think that the gauntlet is really
0: supposed to do only what the person is comfortable doing. Mm. There is an element in John that's not comfortable killing people. Right. And I think that the gauntlet picks up on that. In everybody else's... So Dargo, when he puts on the gauntlet... He gets extremely command oriented. He gets extremely cold and he gets extremely aggressive aggressive, and that's his worst person. And then when Aaron puts it on, she also gets extremely aggressive, but it's almost a prideful thing. She gets a lot more proud than we've Mm -hmm. ever seen her. And that actually ends up being how they get the gauntlet off of her by playing to her pride. But I think John, when he puts it on, his worst self is just more snake oil salesy. Because yeah. when he comes to, when he comes to Bakesh and the writing in this is like a little, it's a little messy, yeah. but he essentially goes to Bakesh and he tries telling him three different lies, essentially, although one of them isn't, one of them isn't really a lie. Well, it's two lies and a truth. Yeah, it's two lies and a truth, but he, he tries to talk his way out. And so he just becomes a lot more, he, he becomes a lot more con man Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is his worst self, is his desire yeah. to kind of talk his way out of things.
1: Well, yeah, and I could see that the, even because the, the, it's a stimulant, that's the, the drug. It's uh, an upper. So I can definitely see your brain worrying more, especially if that's your coping strategy, mm-hmm. in into overdrive with those, those three cons that he tries. Mm-hmm. Well, two cons and a truth. One of them is... I can't remember what the first one was. The second one is that Rigel's sick is one of them.
0: Yeah, Rigel's sick is the second one. The first one is he's an escaped mental patient.
1: Okay, right. He's an escaped mental patient. He's sick. And the third one is he's worthless, which is the true one because they can't pay the ransom. Mm Mm-hmm. Poor Rigel gets kicked a lot in that scene too. He gets kicked like four times. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I mean, he gets kicked and then John collapses on him. And I'm like, "Ah, I don't know that he's okay after that. I I have to hope maybe his bones are flexible or something. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Rigel kind of has it rough in this episode. Yeah. The prison that he's put into on the planet is he's basically stuck in mud and then it's dried out around him so that he can't get out. And Mm -hmm. he hates mud. We learned this, what, two episodes ago. In IET, he detests mud, and there he is stuck in it. Mm-hmm. And while he's there, he's still playing his bluff that he's a ruler, he should get better treatment, and no one's going to pay a ransom unless they, they do well with him. But the other interesting thing is while he's locked up he's he's always thinking about escape plans. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think it's because he, he does believe that they are not coming for him, which they don't yeah. initially want to. Initially, right. there there is kind of this emotion of like, eh, let's yeah. just leave him.
1: Yeah, I actually have the quote where he finally confesses to his cellmate, the Consortium of Child Dude, that no one is coming for him, that he's worthless. Here, let me play it. I'm
0: a few of the fugitives, and they're the only ones who even know I'm here. Won't they are for me? They couldn't if they wanted to, and they don't want to
1: because they hate me. Then you will die here. So why are I- you laughing? <laughs> so he's laughing during this scene and it's like this hysterical laughter because his situation is so bad he's tried to escape from this cell and he's now up to his neck in mud also bakesh stepped on his throat and nearly killed him but he is in such a bad situation And on screen, when you watch it, his his earbrows, they actually do this little sad face thing. And it's really kind of pathetic. Mm -hmm. And You're just like, poor Rigel. He thinks no one's coming for them for him. He he knows his his crewmates don't really like him. And I think he's probably very shocked in the end when Crichton does come for him at Mm -hmm. the end. Oh, for certain. A few episodes
0: ago, you talked about how hard it is to get to like Rigel the first time around. And so mm-hmm. I think that watching this as somebody who has seen the whole series and who has you know a certain amount of empathy for Rigel, these episodes are are hard because it yeah. is a point in the series where they would have left him had he not had the the crystal. I mean, yeah. I don't know that Zan or Crichton would have been happy about it, but I think that nobody was nobody was invested in him in this right. at this point yeah and him always looking for a way out, him always looking for escape, that's the guy that got them out of prison in the first place. Yeah. was the Rigel that was always on his toes and always looking for the water to get out of the mud.
1: Yeah. It came down to a vote of the people on Moya. Darga would have voted to leave him. Aaron would have voted to leave him. Pilot would probably have voted to leave him. And that leaves John, who does say we got to go after him, and Zan, who had... Probably the best relationship with him at that point. Mm-hmm. Probably so. Crichton and Zan would have probably gone after him, but but they they would have been outvoted.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah, if it was a democracy like Dargo referred, yeah. So they end up down on the planet because of Aaron's plan. And again, we talked a little bit about, but I really have to emphasize how much John hates not being in control, even when he doesn't know what's really going on most <laughs> of the time. So they end up on this planet, and he's really mad because. Aaron knocked him out, essentially, to get him on the shuttle so that he would be with her on the planet.
1: Because Dargo was currently unconscious. Dargo was her first choice. Yes, Dargo was her first choice. <laughs> as much as she hated Dargo, and, or <laughs> disliked Dargo at this point in the show, he was still her first choice over John to go down and rescue Rigel. Oh, for certain. And the crystal.
0: But so then she has this hilarious line, which, in my opinion, is the funniest line. <laughs> it, the wily e. Coyote comes in a close second. But this is one of my favorite lines in the whole show, just because you can tell how tired she is with John and how much she's just pushing his buttons to push his buttons. You Shanghai my ass down here. Now you want me to leave?
1: Give me one good reason. Lots of reasons landmines, fire snakes, razor grass, night vision snipers, Morley and death spiders. John is just rolling his eyes <laughs> so mad at her and it's great it's really great and she's just got this like look on her face and it's it's just like she knows what she's doing and it's great yeah the the kind of like I'm just
0: gonna push your buttons like because it's entertaining <laughs> to me I think that Erin in this episode we did get to see her plan and her plan is not necessarily worse than John's but it is just different and it's I a th- different approach Yeah, it's a different approach. And the same with Dargo. I think that she and Dargo tend to have very similar... They tend to have very similar personality types and that does lead to to more similar plans. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And she and Dargo do get to have more development this episode because when Dargo is injured in their initial attempt to gain back Rigel, he's injured so badly and he starts bleeding this dark red, almost black blood. As soon as he does... Aaron be- immediately begins beating on the wound. And we find out that it's important that for for Luxons, the wound needs to essentially be clean in order for them to not die from blood poisoning. And so the blood needs to run clear.
1: So she stays with him. There's a few conversations through. But one of the earlier conversations comes back and actually is it's kind of really cool because it gets reversed. So I already mentioned dargo when he's on the gauntlet calls aaron a coward and she calls him a barbarian and they bring it up when they're both off of the gauntlet and really frustrated with each other and i think it was the clip that we played where they're sniping at each other but then this third one i'm going to play right now is aaron is trying to get the blood to flow clear by banging on dargo's back but he's starting to give up and she won't let him give up by bringing up this conversation again so here i'll play it give it up So you die without putting up a fight. Then you're the coward. And you're the barbarian. You're going to have to hit it a lot harder than that to increase the bleeding. And I just love that because it's like this whole thing coming full circle. They started at this place of just really kind of ragging on each other. But she was still immediately, just immediately, he just looks at her and she immediately starts helping him. Mm-hmm. And that's really a testament to how far they've come. Even in this just short time frame we've had since the beginning of the series, they really do respect each other. That respect is at least growing, even though they're still bickering with each other.
0: Mm-hmm. When she starts kind of goading him into living, into not giving up, there is this amount to where she now sees him as a fellow warrior, as, a, as if not a friend, at least somebody that she could lean on because she's yeah. letting him lean on her. And I think that if she truly did believe that Luxons were as, you know, stupid and dumb and clumsy as she later, if she refers to them in this episode, <laughs> then she wouldn't have helped them. Yeah. They, they work hard to find common ground. And their common ground tends to be that John is stupid. <laughs> I'm going to play a quick clip because it just kind of shows how hard they're working to try and be friends, even if they will not admit that they are trying that.
1: Crichton should be back by now.
0: Well, he's probably at the wrong end of some tavlic weapon somewhere.
1: (laughs) Imagine, somewhere out there, there's a whole world full of Crichtons. How useless that must be. It's amazing
0: he could actually provide us with some common ground.
1: (laughs) Who would have thought there'd be a race more clumsy and pathetic than the Luxons? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: See, I so like that one a
0: lot. They're working really hard to find a common ground, but I don't think either of them can resist
1: sporking the other. They really can't. They really can't. And then, so at that point on screen, Aaron is leaning against Dargo, and like a second later, he like shrugs his shoulder, and she falls back to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> it's this really great little moment because it's, it's, you really get the sense that they are becoming friends here. They're just picking at each other.
0: Yeah. Last episode, we talked a little bit about how Zan sometimes uses her kindness as a survival strategy. And I think we got to see here her using her kindness and it not really paying off in the, in yeah. the manner she intended it to, at least. Because while everybody else is down on the planet trying to rescue Rigel... Xan is up on the ship, and she has a Tavlik with her who has lost his gauntlet, so he's going through extreme withdrawal. She gets him through the withdrawal, and she keeps trying to be kind to him, and he keeps kind of being a jerk to her, but in the end, after they've gone through the whole detox and after he's back with his people, he ends up taking the gauntlet again, and she is so sad about it, but... As a viewer, you're kind of I I didn't really I didn't really ever think that he was not going to.
1: Yeah. So when he loses the gauntlet, it's not by his choice because it's taken by the crew. And so it's a forced detox. But the way Xan kind of presents it as that is that she is offering a choice. She is offering him a choice to know or she's offering him a chance to know what he is like without it and so then he can make an informed decision about whether he wants to go back on the stimulant or not it reminded me a lot of like the just say no campaigns of school in the 90s when they're like don't do drugs
0: you're Mm -hmm. like a
1: terrible person when you're on drugs but it's kind of like a false choice though because it really is never a choice it's never a choice for for the boy i don't think we ever get a name for him um um, for the young tavlek and and he, he tells her that a couple of times.
0: But yeah, that his, his gauntlet is his food, his life, his, it's how he, it's how he finds pride. And I don't think, while the gauntlet makes the rest of the crew more aggressive than they are without the gauntlet, I'm not a hundred percent sure that anybody in his society exists or anybody in his, in his world, in his little world of the, you know, of Bakesh and that marauding crew if any of them exist without the gauntlet. So essentially the only personality that any of them know is them with the gauntlet. Right. And I mean, right. what would he have to do without it? He would he would have to leave the world he knows. He would have to pick up a different trade because right now, kidnapping and ransom has been pretty profitable for him.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, why not keep up doing that? He refers to Zan as giving him sermons and basically preaching, and she is. She totally is. And he calls her on it several times. But it's like, From a position of not being in that. It's like she doesn't quite understand his context or she wants him to come out of his own context. And I don't think he can do that. It's very much of the carpetbagging, you know? Yeah. Coming into someone else's world, telling them how to live their life and how your way is better than their way. Even though they have a functioning society, they know how it works. They know what works for them efficiently and all of those things. And so... Mm -hmm. So I am kind of actually glad that they made the choice to have him go back on it because anything else would have been, I don't know, dishonest.
0: Yeah, dishonest. He would have had to stay with Moya or something equivalent. He would have had to move on with Moya at least because we aren't really given the impression that this was this was mostly just a pirate camp you know, yeah. where Bikesh lives. I, I think that your analogy to like the 90s Just Say No campaign really is apt given, given what we're now finding out about drug use and also just that... She's coming in, and something that seems so simple to her isn't actually that simple. Right. Something that seems very straightforward. Just, you know, just say no to the gauntlet. Do something else. And we're kind (laughs) of like, what else? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like, what else is he supposed to do? It's an interesting note for her, because even though she does kind of have this, this personality of like all loving, all encompassing, all, you know, I love you even just because she does tend to push people to be her idea of what their best self is. Like when she pushes Rigel to go talk to the monarch, it really is her kind of pushing him into who thinks she thinks she should, he should be. And when she's telling John to have more patience, it, it, again, it's her version of, it's her version of Dargo and, and Aaron's impatience, is her saying, have patience, be kinder, be more generous. And here we see the same thing of her looking at this kid and being like, be more than you are.
1: Right. While we're talking about Zan, I kind of want to turn it a little bit to some of her interactions with him. So he's their prisoner and she's basically the jailer while he's their prisoner on Moya. He keeps expecting to take her off guard. And it's really great because this is the best part of Zan that we learn about is that she's not going to be taken by surprise. He calls her uh, soft and weak, and he then tries to run into her back, and she does a sidestep and knocks him over, and she looks at him, and she's like, soft, yes, but weak, no. And she keeps proving Mm -hmm. that over and over again. Every time he tries to get away, she shuts it down instantly. Mm -hmm. And one of the funniest instances of that is um, they take his clothing because Aaron needs it as a disguise. And so he's naked for a little bit and he's wrapped up in a blanket and he flashes her trying to shame her and say, you know, have you ever seen a male before? And trying to make uh, her uncomfortable. And Xanus just like looks him up and down very slowly. And then she takes off her robe (laughs) and flashes him back. Yeah, let's play the clip
0: real quick. What's the matter, too prim to sneak a peek? You afraid you might like what you saw?
1: You ever looked at a male before, huh? huh? Oh, here you go. Quite respectable for your age. Did you think you'd shock me? Is nudity a taboo in your culture? Are you ashamed of your bodies? Yeah, we would be if we looked like you. I doubt it. Yeah, so after she says, I doubt it, she takes off her robe and shows him. And he's kind of got this shocked, speechless expression. Because the way I read it is that he is coming from a culture where it is somewhat taboo to be naked. Mm-hmm. And she is just like completely chill and really comfortable in her sexuality and and her body later on when she's she's helping him through the detox she actually ministers some of the medication she makes him by kissing him and so it's another like sexual kind of way to go about it but the way she does it is just so calm and easy and taking him by surprise once again with being so comfortable in herself mm-hmm Well, and this isn't the first time
0: we've seen her be pretty explicitly sexual in a very casual way. So, like, casually sexual. Like, in the first episode, after John has used the Farscape maneuver to bounce them off the atmosphere, she literally goes over to him, puts their faces together... And then gives him, like, a face orgasm. (laughs) Like, literally, the expression on his face is, like, yeah, he just got a face orgasm. And then in that same episode, Dargo is talking to her about the fourth sensation or something like that. Yeah,
1: early in the premiere. Yeah. And so
0: we are given the impression that to her, you know, sexuality is not something to be ashamed of.
1: Yeah. I also think it's... And especially in this episode where Aaron is so much the commando and the warrior, Zan is the character, the female character that is the sexualized character. I mean, not like, I don't want to say sexualized in the exploitation way because the way they handle it is not that, but she is the one who is an older, an older woman by earth terms, the one who is given the nudity and the, and the kisses and all those sorts of things at this point.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So I just think that's a really interesting note that they, they take with her that I really like a lot.
0: Yeah. And it's I mean, I think it is true that she's pretty much essentially this but the only character that's being mm-hmm. given any sort of sexualization or any sort of scenes where she is talking about sex or, you know, doing things that are sexual. Let me put it yeah. that way.
1: So how do you count the four or five instances that John and Aaron get slammed into each other? Well, I count that <laughs> as like I don't even think it is sexual for them either though,
0: because Not for yet. example no when they're running and hiding from Dargo, there's none of that, like, you know, kind of slow, like, ooh, mm-hmm. sexiness. It's literally just them using their bodies to protect each other, which yeah. I guess for Aaron is uh, is a different thing. You aren't really given the impression that commandos are supposed to take care of each other in that way, I don't think. Yeah, With commandos, it's expected that everybody should be able to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. So her trying to take care of John... I think maybe is a way of her emotionally investing in him a little bit.
1: Yeah, well, she also thinks he's incompetent.
0: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) they've
1: made that very clear. An entire
0: world full of (laughs) Crichton. Yeah. (laughs) There's not a lot going on with Pilot this this episode. And there's actually, yeah, I think Pilot's the only character that really doesn't get any sort of development this episode.
1: No, Pilot does get a little bit, not like a development, but a little bit piece where Dargo's demanding control of the ship. And Crichton tells Pilot to make something up. You know, there's a systems malfunction. And then, so, Pilot says, I did that. He didn't believe me. And then, Crichton still thinks it's a ruse. And then later on, they realize that, no, the ship's actually broken. <laughs> it's just kind of this, like, straight man comedy, kind mm. of back and forth, that's really kind of fun. But yet, yeah, Pilot and Moya are on the sidelines in this episode. Yeah. We get
0: more of John being his pop culture referencing self mm-hmm. you know he references the green lanterns ring which I, I marked down as him being a giant comic stork because I love <laughs> you John we got Wile E. Coyote we've got all these other things that obviously they wouldn't know about I like your idea of it being a survival or like a a strategy where he gets to he gets to give himself some of his power back I think Yeah, because when he's referencing these things that they don't know, he kind of I think emotionally it feels equivalent to him of them referencing things that he does not know.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's definitely the case. He even has this whole little shtick at the beginning about John Wayne and his movies and don't count Genghis Khan.
0: (laughs) Because everybody makes a bad movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, there's also a lot of continuity in this episode, because for example, when Aaron needs to cover their escape and she kind of says, well, John bre- blew up our only weapon. What am I supposed to use as a weapon? And Dargo pulls out his qualta blade. And she's like, oh, great, a sword. And when I was initially watching that, I was like, no, wait, he used it as a rifle in the last episode. But then you realize that no, Aaron never saw him use it as a rifle.
1: Right. And there's this great reveal where he flips it over, does the transition and her face is like, Oh, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what it can do, and then she gives really good cover for them when they are getting out of there, mm-hmm. out of the camp,
0: and she gives him a really nice compliment when she gives it back by saying it's a it's a beautiful weapon.
1: Yeah, the last kind of note that I had, they do rescue Rigel in the end. I mean, they need him, mm-hmm. and because he has the control crystal. And how did he keep the control crystal away from the pirates, the Tavlex, who wanted some ransom of something valuable? Well, he swallowed it. <laughs> That's right, Rigel swallowed the control crystal because he also knew that it was a way that he would guarantee that the crew had to take him back. Like they couldn't just take the crystal and leave him on the planet. <laughs> yeah. So the last last scene of the episode is it's really kind of hilarious. Aaron and Dargo are outside in the hallway, while well, you can hear bodily functions happening inside Rigel's quarters, as he is passing the crystal back through his body, <laughs> out of it. <laughs> and he, he it opens the door. And he hands it to Aaron, and he's like, and she hesitates before touching it. And he's like, I washed it, and then she picks it up. And he's like, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's so oh, good. Rigel, how you get your back? Yeah. Yeah. And it is,
0: I mean, it does kind of go to them trying to make him unlikable. He's not supposed to be a Muppet yet. Let's put it that way.
1: No, I don't think he's ever supposed to be a Muppet, though he does become more sympathetic the more you get to know him. Well, that was one reason they wanted to do Farscape, the Jim Henson company, was because they wanted to show off their puppetry with a really dark kind of tone to it as opposed to Mm -hmm. the more comedy that you get with the Muppets.
0: The puppetry in this was amazing. I mean, both Jothab, the Trow Prince, and Rigel were just, I mean, incredible. It was, I will admit, you never quite believe that the puppets are real. But it's so much more believable to me, the puppetry, than any CGI that I've seen recently.
1: Oh, completely. It makes such a huge difference having something that is physically interacting with the environment and that the characters are interacting with. Like when John falls on top of Rigel, I like flinched. Yeah. Because he was falling on Rigel. Oh no. Yeah, I mean you are like, ah, you can just squish (laughs) squish him.
0: (laughs) He's not that big. All right. So what would you give this episode?
1: I would give this one a solid four.
0: Really? I think I'm gonna stick with a three point five. I think because I didn't, I didn't really care for the the plotline with Zan and and the detox, and it was kind of. I did like seeing though the the development between Aaron and Dargo. That was, I think, my favorite bit, and then also John and his plans.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love about this episode. Is there's a lot of humor in this one there's a lot of really funny moments that the character's interacting in a way that is situationally funny to the audience, and not a situation that the characters necessarily find funny because they're arguing with each other. But that's why I bump it up, because I definitely enjoyed it more than the, the last two mm-hmm. episodes because of those, those moments. I
0: do want to point out, sorry, you brought up an interesting thing, which is that whereas Exodus from Genesis began with very domestic, everybody getting along, essentially, everybody peaceful, in the beginning of Exodus from Genesis, thrown for a loss starts with everybody fighting with each other.
1: Yeah, they're all arguing how they're going to go into this negotiations, what they think it is with the Tablex. It's
0: not even that they're arguing over how they're going to do it. It feels very much like bickering. Like they're all just yeah. bickering with each other about, you know, where John is trying to tell Aaron how to behave, and Rigel is trying to tell Dargo, and Dargo is, you know, picking at Rigel. It feels very much like bickering.
1: Zan even snaps at all of them. Like, she snaps. Like, am I the only peaceful creature on this ship? Sorry, Zan, you're not the only (laughs) peaceful creature. You just think you are. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think we've definitely
0: seen how judgy Zan can be when she wants to be. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. All right, do
0: you have anything else?
1: I think that's it. All
0: right. All right, so next week, join us for Back and Back and Back to the Future. Wait, what is it? You say
1: it because I, I don't know. The name back of the and Back and Back to the Future. I think it's three of them. Okay.
0: Which has some interesting aliens in it. And I will have many opinions on those aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and rate us on iTunes because that's how other people can find us.